yeah, the language really adds to um, to my feelings and to the, I guess, the deeper meaning of um, nourishment and and the medicine too that it gives gives our bodies, gives our gives our people. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Sprouting Conversations. This is a podcast for youth and by youth where we talk about all things food related. In this special episode, we are starting a brand new series focused on food justice. All of the episodes that are f- recorded within this series are actually the recordings from our workshops that we have a part of the Youth Food Justice Group. If you are curious about what that group is and what it looks like, I will link all the, that information down below. Because this is the first workshop and recording for this series, we wanted to focus on what it means to be in relationship with indigenous communities when you're doing food justice work. With that said, we decided to have this workshop with Joe Seward, who shares a lot about language revitalization, relationship with land. There's so much information shared within this episode and so many stories told, so please listen the whole way through and I really hope something resonates with you. Without further ado, let's start some conversation. I guess our little agenda that we are going to do is just go through a little introductions so everyone knows each other and then we have a list of questions I think you had a chance to look at and then we'll just do some giving thanks at the end. Yeah, pretty much this group today is just to help us build a better understanding of food advocacy work and how it relates to the land and how we can better relate to Indigenous communities within that. And I was really excited to bring you into this, Joe, for your focus on like language, because that's an area relating to food that I've been very passionate about. And it was quite funny when I was talking with my papa about this conversation and talking about who to bring in. He's like, oh, you have to bring in Joe. Joe's a good speaker. So <laughs> that was a big reason why I thought of you too. So I guess we can jump right on into it then and just get right to introductions. Uh, my name is Laja Warren. When I introduce myself, I like to say my three generations. Um, so my parents' name are John Warren and Deirdre Warren. On my mom's side, her parents' names are Neil and Camille Thompson, and they're from Icelandic and English background. And on my my father's name is John Warren, and his parents is Ron Warren and Gay Smith. And on my so on my Cookham side, Gay Smith, we are Cree Métis Ojibwe. And on my papa's side, Ron Warren, we are from Lekwungen territory specifically the Albany family from Songhees and Warren family from Esquimalt Nation. What else about me? I'm here today to facilitate this conversation as the Youth Engagement Coordinator, and I'm very happy to be designing this group for everyone here where we focus on food justice and create different actions in our community based on our learning through workshops like this or being in community and learning by doing. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here. It's great to see you uh GSN 
still not set the Sililla. The Community set in its Telnoch. Hilakonish Quilacon. Quinnison Ashlassium. Good day, everyone. Um, I was just saying um, that I'm very glad to be here today. Thanking you all for being here as well. I was just acknowledging the, the, the gathering that we're having today, you know, just uh, I think it's important to talk about, um, you know, the good foods and the, the, the medicines that, you know, that our, our elders and our ancestors, um, you know, preserved for, for our uh, survival. I think it's really good. And thank you all for the work that you're doing. I'm myself I'm very glad to be here. Uh, thank you, Laja, for, for thinking of me to be a part of this. <clears throat> just like everyone else, I had a very long day. <laughs> Jensen Institute, I'm very, very busy. Um, I've had, uh, I teach class at the um, Songhees Wellness Center, teach uh, teach language over there. So Thursdays are usually our long days too. We do um, staff and community classes over at the Wellness Center. Well, I guess because of COVID, it's uh, through Zoom now. But um, I teach language over there. And then Thursdays we have evening class too. So I had to kind of duck out of there a couple minutes early <laughs> to come here. Also, I guess just a little bit about me. Um, I sit on the our leadership council for uh, Sarlat First Nation here in Saanich. So I have a meeting over there as well. So I got back, I got home just in time for uh, evening class, and then had to come here. But before that, I had a island health meeting too. So <laughs> it's been it's been a really long day. But it's uh, you know, language is what I is is my passion. Language is what I love to do and. I hope I can provide something, you know, of interest for for you all. Well, thank you all again. Thank, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time to be here, Joe. I didn't realize how busy this day is for you. Yeah, and all these questions I hope are things that you feel passionate about answering. And if you're not feeling up for answering one, then feel free to just tell me to talk to the next one. I guess we can jump right on into it then. There's kind of two parts to what we were thinking of talking about here today. One was being talking about language and food, and then the other one more about like allyship and supporting Indigenous communities through our advocacy and doing that in a good way. Maybe before we start that, if you could just share a little bit about your journey in connecting with land and specifically how learning the language has supported you in that journey. I'd love to hear that. Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I forgot to mention, I, uh, I was teaching at UVic too, just, uh, teaching uh, Indigenous Studies um, course out there. I did uh, I think three semesters out there. I could have still been there, but we kind of had a mutual agreement. We just you know kind of figured that you know that kind of a program should be run you know face to face rather than through online. You know it's just you know the sacredness and the you know the importance to to our protecting our language and that sort of thing. So uh, took a little time away from there. I'll be back probably. They're they're asking if we want to set up for January. But anyway, when I when I was putting that. Uh, they wanted to do just a language program and and put it out to the public and I figured indigenous studies would be better you know so I could share the history and yeah share the history with uh, with the class and um, when I put that class together I wanted to yes teach the language but um, teach the, the deeper meaning behind it and kind of a little bit of the sacredness so you know you could feel feel the language and you know I don't want to just teach words and teach somebody how to you know, welcome somebody to your territory or whatever, and kind of want them to, you know, know what they're welcoming, welcoming them to, because when you mentioned land, land is, uh, you know, it's sacred, sacred to us. And, um, you know, I was reminded, uh, not necessarily um, 
how to walk, but just being, being mindful of what we're walking on. That was my big thing was um, kind of teaching a little more of the meaning behind behind the words in our language. There's stories that, um, there's one that I could tell, it's like a creation story, uh, you know, it refers to the land, but it also gives a, a good um, learning, uh, life lessons in all the stories that we, in our legends. So there's one that refers to, you know, the trees, the creation of the trees. So way back in our history, they were said to have been uh, like giants, giant people <laughs> that roamed the earth. They began to bully the regular sized people like us. And our creator came down and told him, told them not to be treating people like that, that are different from you. Like, I put you here to look after your relatives. So you need to do that. And they agreed. So our creator went back and they started, you know, they just began doing what they were doing before, kind of hurting, picking on the regular sized people again. After a while, they, he came back, our creator, Chaels, came back and told him, I told you, I put you here for a reason to look after your relatives and you're not doing that. And giant people just kept saying, well, we're bigger than you, so we're not gonna listen to you. And he said, okay, well, you're gonna be here to look after your relatives in one way or another. So he went back to the heavens and pretty much, pretty soon the trees were kind of, you know, walking around and their feet started getting um, planted into the ground. And he left them like that for a while. And after a while, they started uh, kind of begging for their, their lives back. And they were like praying to our creator, praying to the heavens, you know, please, you know, let us return to our old ways of living. And he said, no, I told you, you're going to look after your relatives in one way or another. And, you know, when you look at trees, they, like, they got stuck like that. They're praying, holding their hands up to praying to the creator. And you look at trees and their branches are all facing up to the sun. That was a creation story that, that we were told by our elders. And I heard it growing up, but I just heard it recently from one of our elders. And I thought it was pretty cool. You know, kind of just brings it back. And um, they call the, the, the word for tree is skaleunuh, uh, that cult in there, skaleunuh. The cult, any of that cult word in there uh, refers to something bad. And then the suffix that nuh, skaleunuh, the nuh part refers to people. Like the word for person is astelnuh. So it kind of translates to the bad people. They're you know, it's the word for tree, you know, <laughs> except uh, the cedar tree. The cedar tree is uh, that's our sacred, uh, sacred tree, our medicine tree. And that's what we use for our masks, our canoes, our paddles. Everything's made out of, out of cedar. We use it for cleansings. And, but anyway, there's a, there's a development in one of the, a tiny little lake uh, locally that um, some people are trying to develop. One of our elders took us to to that place, and he he showed us. Uh, we were there with the developers, and he went on talking about the development and how he was wasn't really opposing the development. It was the uh, what do you call like what happens after that? He's uh, the consequences after that is what he was worried about. He shows us the cedar tree and uh, a regular tree. <laughs> they're growing beside each other, but they're growing intertwined. They're like wrapped around each other. It was pretty cool to see. He said, look at those, look at that. Because if they could live like that, why can't we? And, you know, it changed the whole uh, the whole meeting. Like everybody changed. And, you know, that's one of those uh, stories that, you know, there's a life lesson to be learned in all our stories. You know, you take what you need from it, but, you know, you know, we should learn to 
live together and work together and you know it's all relationship building so that's how i kind of see myself teaching in in the university because you know i get questioned why are you teaching people outside of our community and it's lots well, my job to kind of bridge those gaps and to build relationship with one another work together and to move forward in a good way that's how, how i see things and that's how i see being here today i just want to help in any way that i can yeah thank you so much joe that's the perfect story to start with for our group today i'm really glad that you brought that um to us that's one that i haven't heard either so that was a first for me the next one here is have you have you seen that the value of language learning in young people in our communities and how has it helped to support and shape their relationship with food? Yeah, I think it, the language in our young people, I think is, um, you know, for one thing, it's kind of returning them to their true identity. You know, they're going back to using their, like our traditional names and stuff like that. There's a, there's a word for that. It's our, you know, almost translates to our, our lineage, but there's a, there's a word for it in our language that, um, kind of tells who belongs to what family and you know those names are generational they get handed down to the ones who earn those names and sometimes there's a responsibility that comes with those names like mine I got mine from my late grandfather and you know the responsibilities with my name is you know really to do what I'm doing now like teaching teaching language and being a traditional speaker like I speak a lot in our traditional ceremony whether it's uh, the handing down of names or if it's a memorial or funeral, you know, even weddings. I get, I, I speak a lot in those, those kind of, of our, our sacred ceremonies, but it's empowering, you know, our youth returning the language back to our people. You know, it's becoming a big thing now. Everybody's starting to learn. We have a immersion program here in Saanich at the tribal school. So I think they're up to grade seven now from preschool to grade seven. So um, they're learning a lot of the traditions and the way it relates to the food, they're learning how our ancestors lived. Our traditions are coming back in a strong way, you know, even just fishing and um, hunting and uh, how they go about that, how they how they carry themselves with that. And, you know, it's not just going out and shooting an animal. There's, you know, there's some uh, acknowledgements that go along with it, prayers that go with it and the usage of the whole animal, you know, they're, they're all bringing that back to our community here. And, um, like when you talk about maybe a deer, you know, the everything gets used, the, the hide for our drums and antlers, you know, for knives and uh, fish hooks, everything, everything gets used for, um, for something. And our young are starting to, starting to pick that back up. Same with the salmon. It's more than going, going out and catching a fish, you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes with it. And, you know, and those prayers that go with, along with it, you know, catch a catch a salmon and kind of give thanks but also it's almost like apologizing and asking for the salmon to return to you know the strength is coming along with the language too like strength in our youth strength in our people you know being proud of who we are again you know stuff that's been taken away from our elders through the residential school times and you know it's just really something to see the young children speaking the language so you know they're under they're learning and understanding the I guess the hard work that's put into you know going and getting these whether it's medicine or food you know it's there's so much more appreciation in it when you do it that way rather than going you know just going to the grocery store there's like a sense of pride in there in a different sense you know and again just use utilizing everything from the animal 
I did this thing at um, Bayside Middle School. I got asked to speak there, and it was kind of the same thing on traditional foods. You know, they they couldn't really understand when I was speaking. You know, I said, I said yeah, they utilized the whole animal. So and then they said, well, what did you guys, what did your people do with um, the garbage then, back then? And I said, well, there wasn't garbage. And I said, they kept kind of arguing with me. They're like, well, there had to have been something. And I said, no, they're like, we used everything. You know, and what wasn't used, like probably like, you know, the fish guts and stuff would get placed back in the ocean, you know, crabs, everything. And some of it was buried. So there was no garbage. Like you had to have something. I said, no, we didn't have plastic. We didn't have any of that stuff back then. So I mean, in our history. So, you know, I told stories of, you know, our people used to hunt uh, seals back then. You know, it sounds kind of gross now, but (laughs) our people used to eat seals. And they used to use the, you know, even the stomach sack in a seal. They'd clean that out and scrape it out and stuff, and then they'd, that's that would be a water sack for them. They'd use that for a water sack, fill it up and carry their water in that. And you know, there's so much that the, they did uh, in those in those times that seem odd to us, <laughs> you know, or some of it even sounds kind of gross. I think uh, the language is just giving you know a different worldview, you know, for for our young our young children and our young people. You know, it's giving them that strength again. That's what I enjoy with uh, being involved, you know, teaching and seeing the young ones too that, that are coming up with the language. That's kind of how I see them connecting with, you know, land and food in that sense, you know, having that a deeper appreciation and, you know, in what they're putting into their bodies. Also a little bit, a little, little worrisome. Also, you know, I don't want our sources, resources to kind of die out the way things have been going with, especially with deer and the salmon, the salmon run is really it's pretty bad lately. You know, there's always uh, prayers in place from our elders for that. You know, that's our main, one of our main resources is uh, the salmon. So it gets a little worrisome with that, with that stuff. And we had our ways of preserving the salmon. You know, even when we talk about the reef net, reef net fisheries, they purposely cut a big hole in the bottom of the net to allow some fish to get out so that we're not taking, wiping out the whole salmon run. No, no, like we couldn't even get any salmon at all this year. It's it's pretty scary. So um, those kind of things we think about. Yeah, the language really adds to um, to my feelings and to the, I guess, the deeper meaning of um, nourishment and and the medicine too that it gives gives our bodies, gives our gives our people. Thank you. Yeah, I totally relate with that fear with fish. That's been a conversation in my family a lot because this is the time that my dad's fishing a lot or canning fish a lot so that's been a topic that keeps coming up too well this last question around food is a little more fun is what is your favorite lekwungen word for a food or a plant and why oh favorite lekwungen word for a food or plant <laughs> uh there's this one word that uh, is pretty fun to say it, it used to be it is a food you know to our people but i've never eaten it but it's uh wamalicha wamalicha it's a, it's a gooey duck. <laughs> I don't know. This is one of those things that there's a few of us in our, when I was taking the language program, it was just something that I was stuck with us. <laughs> We'd always call each other that. <laughs> this is, I don't know. It's just fun to say, I guess. And uh, yeah, for food, I guess. And for uh, a plant, I'm going to have to say a seed or yeah that's a fun one to say too it's uh the yarrow little tiny ferns or whatever 
right? That's what those are. You know, those things are, it was one of the first things I learned about too when I, I joined the language program. So those two words, Kelp and Wamalishcha. Wamalishcha? Wamalishcha. And you and your friends would call each other that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if I came to language class next week and just started calling you that? <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> That's awesome. So our next question is, like I said, more focused on allyship because most of this group is settler based. So a big question that they're asking, that we're all asking each other is how we can better support indigenous communities and activists. And what are some of the steps that you can see that need to be taken in that role and that work? Again, I thank you all um, very much for, you know, for the work that you're doing. I think a big start is, you know, what's happening right now is uh, building relationship and then you know, educating too, educating yourselves on traditional foods of the, the local people here. I guess how we can help each other preserve what's left of those, you know, like, I don't know what you can really do about the salmon. I don't think there's much really to, that we can do, but maybe protecting clam beds and stuff like that. And even just talking about it with people and educating more people on how the, you know, even clams are hard to come by nowadays. And that was one of our main resources. Same with the deer hunting areas. All the wildlife is kind of thinning out in a, a rapid pace, and it's kind of scary. <laughs> but it's it's a I think it's a it's an everybody thing. You know, we need to we need more groups like this to kind of work together and you know look after what is there. You know, I think it's our responsibility to again going back to that story. It's our responsibility to walk together and uh, look after one another and look after what's uh, our resources, our natural resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really well said. And I definitely think that groups like this is a really, really big step that's needed and just having these conversations. But kind of building on what you said, um, do you have any ideas around how we can promote access to these foods and traditional foods and culturally appropriate foods? Because I think that that is such a big part of food justice is having access to foods that our ancestors have been in relationship for years. So do you have any um, ideas or advice for how settlers or activists who are trying to support indigenous communities on how that they can support promoting that access and making sure that these forms of nourishment are still going to be here for our future children? Mm, that's a tough, tough question. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's always good to talk about and even just, it's hard to even think about beaches to go to, to you know, to harvest clams or even finding hunting grounds that are you know, that anybody can go to and, you know, or sea urchins, those are hard to come by. Everything's, I don't know. Yeah, it's not necessarily a light question. That's for yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, the next thing uh, is just on the topic of allyship and being a strong ally. At least for me, a big thing is like just giving that space and creating that space. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you see as like the allyship role and what would you want that role to look like in your life? Hmm. Again, it's all... Like to me, anyway, like this is meetings like this and relationship building and I guess um, supporting, I guess we can't even really do much now with the COVID stuff, but supporting gatherings, you know, probably more coming together like this and maybe sharing a meal, you know, a traditional meal. And yeah, I really don't know, especially now with, uh, with the pandemic, it's really hard to really do much. <laughs> and again, I could go back to <clears throat> learning, learning about what it is we, you know, 
first the local people do eat and what they cherish and and then just talking about it <laughs> you know at, at this point anyway with the pandemic i think that that's a really good one and you know what you said uh supporting gatherings to happen i think that there's so many different roles within that that people can take to support that happening um, of course with covid there's a few barriers within that that are definitely challenging to work with that we'll have to find ways around yeah, yeah. thank you i think that's really important it gets kind of tough because um trying to preserve stuff and then trying to tell people to go get some <laughs> you know it's kind of taking from you know we had a really hard time with uh feeding our people like through this um usually because usually in the summer times we'll like we'll get the sockeye salmon run and you know our nations would go out and get food fish for our, our for our community members we'd go out and fish some food and give a couple of salmon each to our members and we couldn't even do that. The numbers are so low. They said we could try, but it was like stuck between wanting to help our people, our membership. Was, we're stuck between that and, you know, adding to the problem, taking, you know, the very little re, uh, resources that we, we have left. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's really tough that way too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was super upset when food fish didn't come in this year. Very sad about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm thinking... I always battle with that too, of like that preserving and still having access. Does anyone have any questions that they want to ask? I have one that came to mind, Joe. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you grew up speaking your language or like at what point in your life you learned it, if not, and who taught it to you and just what that experience was like for yourself learning your language now that you're a language teacher. Yeah, um, I grew up hearing the language, you know, with my grandparents and I used to travel with my grandmother quite a bit to go visit, you know, her cousins or her aunties and stuff. So I heard, I heard it a lot growing up being, you know, anywhere from two years old to six, seven years old. And then uh, going into school and it was a, it was a subject in school. It wasn't always used, but just living with my grandparents, I heard it quite a bit. So I was able to understand, but I wasn't really able to speak too much. And then learning it in school kind of added and, took the language revitalization program through UVic, a two-year program, language program is, is pretty good. Spending time with elders, you know, was even better. <laughs> so I picked it up pretty quick, just, I guess, reactivating that prior knowledge. It came pretty quick for me. And then I, I did my own work outside of school too. I sat with elders and I did, yeah, I, did, I pounded pavement, walked around and visited our elders and uh, learned that way. And then again, you know, speaking about my traditional name, my late grandfather was a speaker in our ceremony, so they, I got kind of stuck in there and <laughs> to be a, a traditional speaker too. I didn't even feel ready when I started, <laughs> but I got shoved in there and then it forced me to, to really, really learn. Yeah, I guess impacting, it imp impacted my life pretty big. You know, I feel, I feel like I see the world differently, you know, with a lot more, I guess, understanding and a lot more, um, I don't know, I'm trying not to get too cheesy here, but you know, a lot like you know, a lot more love and respect for my surroundings, you know, the land itself. You know, where I was told that uh like I was saying earlier, it's not being we never ever caught <laughs> trying to be professional, but use the elders' words too. We never caught a heck for how we walked, you know. It was more being mindful of what we walk what we're walking on. They always told us to be mindful of what you're stepping on. Don't step on plants. Don't step on the insects. And everything from the smallest insect to the biggest animal have purpose in our way of life. 
you kind of learn from that and see see things differently in in the language and i guess that would be my answer how it impacted me just seeing it through a lekwungen worldview with the with the respect for my surroundings thank you joe does anyone else have any other questions we're getting towards the end of our group i have a question joe you mentioned briefly at the beginning when we were when you were talking about um, the intertwining of the cedar tree and the like the other tree, and you were, you briefly referred to teaching language, your native language, to settlers or people that aren't indigenous to the land. And I was wondering how that relates to what you're just talking about with the gained respect and love and appreciation for nature and your surroundings, and if you've experienced how learning the language, how settlers learning uh, the language have they've also gained that appreciation, um, but also how to go about that um, learning process with respect as your role, like as a role um, as a settler. I yeah. hope that made sense. Yeah, definitely a good question. Um, that was actually something I was trying to touch on, but I was, kept losing my train of thought. Just kind of seeing, th seeing things through the way of that story. And when I was talking about when I put that, that my my syllabus and everything together for that course, I wanted it to be deeper than just saying being able to say words, you know. And definitely, it did. Um, they did start seeing things differently, and I think that's the that was the biggest goal for me was to teach the non First Nations uh, the real history of our people and the real history of the the local the local land and the local people. That that was a big thing, and like uh, I don't want to talk too much about. Um, things about you know UVic and whatever but um there was a couple of students that I had that you know like admitted they had uh, a certain view on First Nations people that they didn't problems with uh, understanding First Nations people and they had openly admitted that um, about halfway through the program like you know in tears like oh this is what we thought we thought you were just you know just wanted money wanted free things you guys get free gas and don't have to pay mortgages and like we actually thought that and they're crying I still, you know that's me getting my job done that's how i felt anyway like just getting you know the actual history to out to to our visitors non non first nations people um the real history of our people you know and they didn't understand they didn't even hear about residential schools and all that sort of stuff so yeah they did start seeing things through through a different lens i think and there's so there's so many stories that i told too um like another creation story of the animals you know the, one of the long story short i don't want to take up too much of your time but um you know the creation of the animals there's the killer whale that looks after our ocean there's the stakea the wolf looks after our mountains there's the eagle that looks after the sky and the seamish the serpent that looks after our rivers and you know the, our, the eagle is um always a reminder to us Elders always emphasize that. I always got to look to the eagle. You know, he's the one that gives you that reminder that there's another world to be looked at. You know, there's a view that we don't see that he does. And, you know, it kind of, it's kind of a phrase or, you know, a way to think about it that, you know, it's kind of a way to live by, you know. You always got to be open-minded and open-hearted open -hearted to, to other views too. I always think of the Olungs and the eagle. Uh, you know, there's always another world to be seen. Yeah, some of those, our student, the students I had were um, seeing that, you know, and 
I thought it was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really beautiful experience. So you got to see that transformation of people's thoughts and know that you were had a big hand in it. That's really awesome. Thank you for asking that question. Well, I just wanted to say again, thank you so much, Joe, for all everything that you shared today. I I knew when I wrote all these questions that I didn't even bother thinking of like what the answers would be because I knew that our conversation would just go exactly where it needed to. And that's exactly what I expected and what I got. So I just really want to say that. Um, and I'm really hoping that through hearing some of the things that people are leaving with, you're feeling very good about the information that you shared and knowing that everyone will be taking a lot from this conversation. And I'm hoping for everyone else that this conversation has given you a lot to think about, but then also has given you an idea of where your entry point can be in these conversations and where we can move forward when we have these conversations about food justice and how we can wrap in language and revitalization of traditional practices within that. Uh, before everybody goes, I just want to thank you again. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I do have good feelings as well, you know, walking away. You know, the question kind of answers itself, you know, what, what can you know, these allies do, you know, you all have your own ideas and, you know, take some of this knowledge to your respective paths, wherever it may end, you know, you're taking some information somewhere else and, you know, going to use that, use that knowledge and, you know, whatever it is, you take what you need from, you know, whoever it is that's speaking. So thank you all very much. Um, I feel, I feel good about it. Um, I mean, I just really hope that it was of interest and, some hopefully some meaning that you're taking from it <laughs> um thanks again uh glad to glad to be here today Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Sprouting Conversations and the first episode in our special food justice series. If you enjoyed this episode, please like or subscribe so you can hear more about the episodes coming your way in the future and share it with a friend who is also interested in food justice work.